And now, coming at you from the Five Star Physique Studio in Knoxville, Tennessee, this is The Drop Set with your host, Darren Starr. Hey everyone, welcome to The Drop Set. This is Darren Starr. We're about to jump into my interview with Brian Barber, client of mine with a very interesting story. Of course, I'm OCD. I can't let it slide. Uh, when I introduce him, I identify this as episode 189. It is actually 190 because after I recorded this, I went and recorded the impromptu solo episode that put, we put up this last Monday, which ended up being 189. So this is 190. So forgive the horrific and unforgivable mistake. I promise it will. Well, I'd say it won't happen again, but it probably will. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Drop Set. This is episode 189, recording this, uh, well, way in the past. It's September 8th, and I don't know when this is going to go live, but it's going to be some date way past September 8th. So I am ahead of the game for once. It's uh, It's been a long time coming. Rather than being months behind, I am now, uh, dare I say, weeks, maybe a week and a half-ish ahead. So it's a good feeling. I am here. I am joined by... The one and only Mr. Brian Barber. How you doing, Brian? Brad, I'm doing very well. All right. Very, glad we, to be here. We finally got you on here. Yeah, and uh, I'm kind of disappointed because... Most people are with this podcast. Well, we've been trying to do this for what, several months now. Yeah. And now I'm having to follow up all the badasses that you had on here for the last several episodes. So uh -huh. it's like... Uh, I wanted to be before all of them. <laughs> yeah. So what I what I really want to do is have them before you, and then have another lineup of badasses after you, so you just feel even more insignificant. That's what I'm going well, for. So. so well, hey, do that because then I'll be lost in the mix. Right. Right. I mean, you know, the thing is, like, you know, whether people are a pro or what their experience is, the whole point is I want people who come on here to have something unique to offer and you do. So you've got an interesting backstory. You've got a cool perspective on having just kind of jumped into the competitive world, but diving in with both feet. Um, yeah. And there's some interesting stuff going on now with challenges and kind of working through some adversity that we want to talk about as well. So there's a lot of shit to cover. Yeah. Uh, it's that's, I was actually thinking about that before we signed on a while ago. I was like, you know, I've been with you. I look back and it was uh, November, it'd be three years. Jesus. And you have witnessed some pretty significant ups and downs in even yeah. just those three years. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So full, full disclosure, we should say here, like you're my client. Um, yeah. And also your wife is as well. Yes. So I can She's only imagine the stories that you two share about me. Oh, uh, and could you possibly have two clients that were as opposite? Um, no, <laughs> it's a, it was completely different. For two of it, it, it's kind of funny how the two of you work together because it, it's very much like this. One's hot, one's cold. Sometimes you kind of yes. meet in the middle, um, but it's very interesting. And a lot of that is because you guys are more often than not in different phases and going in different directions. Yes. Um, like you'll be pre-contest and she's in off season. I mean, she, she's not a competitor. Um, and like right now she's cutting and doing really well. And you're like, food, bring it on. So yeah. um, it, it's, it's kind of like that thing where I, I, I tell this with, with couples who do this together, it's like, it works both ways. Sometimes you don't both want to be in prep at the same time because yeah. You're, you're both miserable, but other times it's like, well, you don't really want to be in opposite faces at the same time either. So what do you do? <laughs> it's like, well, you know, it's a catch 22. I, I will say on that, like I don't handle prep well. So if she was <laughs> doing prep in the middle of me, handling, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a baby when it comes to prep and uh, I get, you, you get like the prep uh, version of a man cold. Yes. I don't like it at all. I hate it. Uh, but with, I think what helps us is 
I know what she's going through every step of the way. Yeah. And so I, I can kind of respect her boundaries. And, but right now this is the leanest that she's ever cut down. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Okay. Now you're starting to see why I get the way that I get Yeah, probably without well, reason, but. <laughs> and the thing that's funny is like with her and I don't, I won't make this all about her, but she's really like kicking ass right now and taking names. Yes. Um, and yes. that, there was a switch that flipped when we took her off of a meal plan and put her on a macro plan. So she has more control over her food. And she went from like kind of struggling sometimes to just being an absolute damn robot every single day and just nailing it perfectly. And she's the poster child. She is the poster child for the success of a macronutrient based plan. I didn't expect it. Yeah. I mean, it's awesome. My hat is off to her. So every time we check in, I'm like the street continues. And at this point it's not surprising anymore. I just expect it. So um, see, that's where she and I were opposite again, because you put me on macros alone. I'm going to screw that up royally. Uh, (laughs) But I can, I love having a meal plan because I can eat the same thing every day, but that's because of my job, the way that I work. It's helpful to do that for me. Yes. It's, it's a lot. I'm uh, kind of a backstory on that. I'm never home. I work away from home. I work out of town. Tell us a little bit about that whole setup because it is one of the things that's kind of unique to you. I'm a, I work in the oil field on a drilling rig, which I'm a third party. I don't, I'm not actually a rig hand. I work my way up through the ranks, but I'm a directional driller. We drill crooked holes in the ground to get oil and gas out. And I do not have a work schedule. Uh, I may go to work for three weeks, come home for two days. I may go to work for four days, come home for three weeks. It's very tricky getting used to that. But the hardest part for the the bodybuilding side of it is as you witnessed here, what, two, three weeks ago, very recently when when I went out to work, there was no gym anywhere close and (laughs) I was in full on panic mode. Yeah. And luckily, uh, like you said, once everything calmed down and I just stepped back, I figured out a way to make it work, but my normal routine is I wake up. So when I'm going to work, I do not come home in the evenings. I may be three hours from home, which is where I'm working right now is three hours from home. It's just not practical. And no. And then I work 13 hours a day and then drive. So this one's right at 40, 40 minutes to the gym one way, get my workout in, drive 40 minutes back, hit the bed, wake up, do it all over again the next day. And that's my routine. So, so the advantage there is since you're not at home, it's like, you don't have a whole lot else to do. So a 40 minute drive, it's kind of like your little, your little solitude time. It's like, all right, get away from the nonsense of work, decompress, get ready to lift, get back. And then, yes, it it is an advantage. Uh, 100%. Uh, I credit a lot of my work lifestyle for me. It's easier. I can see where some people having to deal with what I, the, my schedule would, they'd fall apart, but that's my way of, away from work. Like it's, uh, it makes me be routine. Now, the only time it gets tricky is you work 12 hours a day. You don't want to take a rest day, but you also have to go to the grocery store, which may be 30 minutes in the opposite direction from any gym. <laughs> and, but, uh, the good side of all that is I have like five gym memberships. So, <laughs> collect them like uh, trading cards yeah they're all on my bag like you, you so which one am i going to you're flipping through so that's funny yeah. so tell us a little bit about the living situation when you're on site are, they, are you in like some kind of like a manufactured home or a trailer or something like that yes okay yeah, so we, you've got uh, access to a full kitchen there 
Yes, yes. And our current setup, which was what made this even harder this time, is normally we're on site with the rig and we have a, a trailer house. It has two bedrooms in the trailer, and then there's the full kitchen, full living room, and then an office where uh, I have a relief. So I work 12 hours. He works 12 hours. And then there's also another two group of two guys that work 12 hours opposite each other in the same office. And so my bedroom, I'm in it at when I'm off tower and the other guy sleeps in there when he's off tower. And so it, it gets a little hairy, you know, trying to live with four people in a trailer house, but yeah. the, now we're actually, we have a trailer house that is 10 minutes away from where we're actually working. Mm. We got stuff stored over there and we have a small trailer, which is basically nothing but a, a kitchen and an office and not a lot of storage room at work. And if you need something that you forgot, you can't go back and get it. So don't mess up. Don't mess up. And that's what was throwing me for a loop this time. I'm like, how am I going to get this together? And so I had to keep stuff in my vehicle, keep stuff in the other trailer. And I had to figure out a routine because everything has to be perfect. And because the trailer where we're living is 10 minutes opposite direction of the gym. So it would be an hour drive by the time, uh, if I had to go back to the trailer to get something to make it to the gym yeah, and you're not getting off work till 6, 15 PM. And you're trying to hope like most days I'll try to cook my pre-workout meal around five o'clock. I'm still at work mm-hmm. and the days that I can't get to that, then I'm freaking rushing through trying to throw a pre-workout meal together, get everything done, change clothes, get in the vehicle and get to the gym before seven fifteen or so. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess the moral of the story is like the degree of difficulty changes, but if the drive is there, you're going to find a way to get it done. Like, yeah. You, and you have to, I mean, and that's, that's true for everybody like me. My degree of difficulty is about as low as they get. I'm at home all day long. I don't go anywhere. I have no responsibilities or obligations. So it's like, woohoo. All right. Um, you, I mean, if, if we take me on one end of the spectrum, there's a middle, you're somewhere past the middle. And then somebody that like works on the road all the time and is traveling and taking flights all over the place. I would consider that at like the, the opposite end of the spectrum from me, where you've lit- you're literally living out of a suitcase. You've got to go through TSA several times a week. So you've got to be really careful about what you pack. You might, might not have access to a full kitchen to prep your stuff. So it's like, but you know, if, if someone's determined enough, you'll make it work. Yeah, you'll find a way. Um, I'm glad I don't have to deal with what you just said being the worst end of the spectrum. That would yeah. I, I always think do. like with with a lot of things in life, as long as I can think of somebody who has it worse than me, then I'm cool. Like if I go to the doctor and they're like, "Wow," and I'm like, "Well, have you seen worse?" It's like that's what I want to know. Have you seen something <laughs> worse than me? Well, yeah. Okay, great. All right. As long as I'm not going to yes. end up in a medical journal for being the worst possible case of something, then that's good. I'm cool with that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it, it's and, and you everybody needs to understand. Cause I, I meet a lot of people in different gyms cause I'm never in the same gym. I, I'll work out in a gym for a few weeks and then boom, I'm moving, changing gyms. And so I meet a lot of different a people. professional transient. Yes. And I, even though if I try to keep my headphones on and ignore everybody, I turn into a, an asshole when I'm in the gym. Yeah. I'm focused just I'm in the gym around. though. Yeah. Just in probably not, but right. And so <laughs> that being said, somehow people will still come up and talk to me and I, I don't mind talking as long as they're not getting him away, but. And the conversation always, doesn't go on for eight minutes. Yes. But yeah. People always, it's human nature to find excuses 
why we don't do things. That's the easy yeah. way out. Yeah. And you have to be willing to overcome all of those obstacles if you want to succeed. Like, because if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. And I think recognizes that the excuses aren't going to get you where you want to go. And so yeah. stop trying to make them. I think what you said is right. Like recognize that that's the default approach and that default approach does not work for this. You've got to, oh. there you go. Exactly. For those listening at home, he, he, he showed off his shirts, which shirt, which says results over excuses. So, yeah. I mean, nobody cares about your excuses. You know, there are so many people who are billboards for excuses. Like they don't get it done, you can see. And if you want to be something other than that, it's hard. Like it is really freaking hard. So I mentioned a minute ago about medical journals. So that reminds me, like you have an interesting medical story and background as well. So give us like the two or three minute version of that because it is kind of interesting and it does help kind of set the stage for one of the many things that kind of makes you a little different. Yeah, uh, but, he, he, he has three arms, people. I'm telling you that three arms. <laughs> I, I wouldn't call it an arm, but <laughs> anyway, that being said, you were, um, I'm going to jump to the first thing is my shoulder. So you were talking about having shoulder issues. Yeah. Um, I, I don't have a sleeveless shirt. I don't have, I need one of those shirts you have on there, Darren, uh, yeah. but the, the rare item. These are out of stock now. But I've got a, a scar on my left shoulder where I had to have shoulder surgery there. I'm going to, I think it was 15 years ago, I believe. But you mentioned reaching behind you on the couch. Yeah. And that's, I dislocated mine doing that one time. Oh. I had a shoulder surgery because I sneezed, dislocated my shoulder. It went into my rib cage and into my lung. Okay. I'm sorry. That is fucking hilarious. We can laugh about it 15 years later, right? Yes. Um, I was laughing about it then because I was at work. And so there's a crew of safety people there asking me what really happened. And I said, look, that if I'm going to make something up, I'm not going to make that up. That makes me like a freaking idiot. Like, but they had to put me to sleep to get it out of my rib cage, put it back in socket. And then, but it had done so much damage at that point, they had to completely reconstruct it. So the shoulder was pretty hard to deal with, but since how long did that take? Kid, how long did you uh, after that? Uh, shit, three years before it quit hurting. Yeah, like it was, it was bad. But the problem with that was, and I, hindsight being twenty twenty, I went seven years from the time I was a senior in high school, and they said I had to have immediate shoulder surgery or I was going to lose the ability to use my left arm. I went seven years. And when I finally went, the surgeon said, write down everything you did, how you changed your lifestyle to make it seven years so I can tell other patients what to do. But in doing that, once I went into physical therapy is when I learned that was a bad idea because it transformed all of my back. I had one, my left side was weak. My right side was strong. Mm -hmm. And my brain had taught my hand to never go above my head. And so we had to reteach my brain and it was, it was rough. Physical therapy for that was absolutely atrocious. That is hard when you, when your brain has kind of learned something like that as a safety mechanism and practiced it for so long, it is really yeah. hard to unlearn that stuff. Yeah. And it's, it, it was very, very difficult. There was a lot of mental, there are more mental battles in that than it was physical battles. But then, uh, as at a young age, I was my back, I remember my back hurting when I was, 
12, 13 years old. And everybody, when you're a 12, 13 year old kid, nobody believes your back's really hurting. I don't nobody know wants to hear about back pain from a preteen. Yeah. <laughs> I was told by family members, oh, you don't even have a back. You have a gristle. <laughs> you haven't grown a backbone yet. <laughs> but when I hit around 20 years old, my back started really, really hurting me. Um, then I ran into some issues with it. I started going in and out of uh, physical therapy and surgeons and I think I was 25 or 26 when my first surgeon said, you have to have back surgery, but we're not doing it right now. You're going to have to have a, a two level spinal fusion. Was and it because it was, they felt you were too young at that time? Yes. He said I would be back having another fusion done in less than 10 years if I went then. Interesting. Um, so then it finally, interrupting for one second here, um, since it started so young, was it some kind of like a, uh, was it a genetic thing or, yes. okay. Uh, they, the, I'll, I'll touch that in two seconds. Gotcha. When I was, uh, let's see, I'm 38. So I, okay. I was 30 years old when they told me I had to have back surgery. It was going to happen, but also we'll put it off for I, five years after the first, the first yeah, discussion about it. it. Okay. Was, the first time I ever went to the emergency room for it was probably five years before that. Okay. Um, back when I was dealing with the shoulder thing, my surgeon told me I was born with too much elasticity in all of my tendons and I would have to have surgery on multiple parts of my body before I died, I guess. So kind of like the $6 million man or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, spent a lot of money spent on this body. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Don't come cheap. Money. <laughs> Somebody <laughs> should have got a receipt. Um, tax right. But, <laughs> but I went, um, when it finally got really bad, I went, uh, it had gotten to beyond the point of return. Um, they finally made me go to the doctor, uh, went to a spine specialist when he looked at everything and, uh, he's like, you have to have a three level spinal fusion. He, when he was holding my x-ray up, he said, if I did not have your birthday written at the top of this x-ray, I would think I was looking at the spine of a 65 year old man. He said, this is the worst case of degenerative disc disease that he had ever witnessed in somebody so young. Man, and I was 33 years old. Uh, November will be five years. <laughs> and, but whenever he went in there, he said, look, that's, this is a surgery that is a life altering experience. He said, you, you're going to be different for the rest of your life. You <laughs> Did you ask him to clarify that? that? Because it could be life altering in a lot of different ways. Yeah. But he did tell me no sweeping, mopping or vacuuming ever again. I was like, I need that in writing. I need it notarized. Yes. I need witnesses and contract that shit. Yes. Uh, (laughs) But so we, uh, he told me I needed a three level fusion at that time. And, uh, which means what fusion in three spots or yes. Uh, so, uh, L3, L4, L4, L5, L5, S1. Okay. So, so fusing, fusing for those, uh, not super initiated in this, we're fusing the disc between, um, the yes. vertebrae. Yeah, they, they actually, but where the disc is, they went in. So, um, you've seen my check-in photos, you know, but for nobody, for people that haven't seen my check-in photos, they went in through the front and through the back. So the first part of the surgery, they cut me from right above my nether regions to my belly button and basically pull out all organs and they go in through the front and they take out the discs that are there. I got to tell you, that seems really inefficient. Yeah, it was rough. (laughs) And then they put in a plastic disc inside that plastic replacement disc is a piece of lab grown bone and it's placed in the middle. Uh, And then they 
put all your guts back in, sew you back up, flip you over. They go in through the back and drive wedges through your vertebrae into that disc, that fake disc that they put in there to hold it in place, put rods up your spine and then screw them in and sew you back up and send you on your way. Um, and the, I got to say the, the pictures, like the x-ray pics from that look pretty impressive. It is it was it's weird. It kind of looks like <laughs> something out of a horror movie a little bit. Yeah, and it, it, I think it looks worse than it actually was. Um, it weirdly, sounds worse. Oddly <laughs> enough. Talking about pulling your guts out, hopefully they put everything back in the right spot. Uh, the part that hurt the most wasn't where they went in through the back. It was where they went in through the front. That was the hardest thing to recover from. If I read the word sneeze on a piece of paper for three months, it, I broke into tears. Oh, man. That was that was atrocious, but uh, <laughs> something didn't go right in the surgery. We don't know what happened, but it was supposed to be like an hour and a half surgery. And it was what, right at three hours later when I finally came out, they told me I was going to walk that day. The surgeon come out and he said, there were some things that happened. Nobody ever told us what happened, but you're like, you're not left, left some Legos inside you. <laughs> yeah. There's a screwdriver or something. I, <laughs> I hope they lock tied everything, but oh, somebody dropped uh, a little mini taco. They, they told me then when I went in that, uh, I, he said a single level fusion is not something they like to do, but it, it's common. Um, a double level, two level fusion means two vertebrae at the same time. That's not really common. They don't like to do them. And he said a three level where you're doing three at one time is they don't do that. They don't like to do that. Um, and he has said he has to pick the patient. He told me earlier that day before he saw me, he actually turned down a patient because he was 400 pounds, 25 years old, and he wouldn't take care of himself. Yeah. He I said, mean, that, that kind of makes sense. He said, you're in shape. Um, you're going to take care of yourself. He said, I can tell that this surgery will work. You have a worth ethic that will make it successful. You can do it. We're going to do it. And because it, it, the, the surgery doesn't fix it all by itself. Like there's follow up no. and there's work that you've got to do after that. There's a lot of work you have to do after that. Um, but they told me that my bodybuilding lifestyle. Now I was not trying to be a competitive bodybuilder. We'll, we'll get to that part of the story, but I was in the gym. Um, I grew up like a lot of the guys my age and, and you too, where uh, reading magazines is all we had. Like yeah. we didn't have the internet back then. Pre-internet, pre yep. Man, it was Jay Cutler telling us to eat chicken and rice. and Flex dude, Magazine, Iron, Iron Man uh, was a little softer edged. Flex was good. Muscular development was pretty hardcore. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we, we grew up with those. Yeah. Uh, we had a gym set up in my buddy's house or his grandma's house that was vacant. That was our, our gym we went to every day. And then I got in and out of it over the years. But before my back actually went out, I had gotten back into it. And one thing that I'd found that really, really helped my back was barbell hip thrust. That was the biggest life-changing exercise for me was, uh, and I'm one of the people that when I'm trying to get into something, I research until I'm blue in the face. I will dig up every website. I'll go to, well, I used to go to the library before the internet was just so widely available. Nobody has time for that anymore. No, hell no. But <laughs> I will read, watch videos. I will. I want to know everything about something before I even start doing it. And research taught me that, you know, our back is such a big unit. It starts at our calves and goes up to our mid back. All of that works together. And if you have one part of that that is weaker than the rest, 
you're going to feel it. Whether you realize that's what's causing your pain or not, my back pain and my back issues weren't really from my back. It was because of my quads being stronger than my glutes. Yeah, weak, weak glutes because most guys Very don't directly glutes. train glutes, so there's going to be yeah. an imbalance there. And then we get older, we have jobs where we're sitting on our ass. So they get stretched is, out, they're weaker still. Our body's not designed to do that. We're not designed to sit. Mm-mm. And riding in a vehicle is one of the worst things for your back. And it, all of that had weakened all of my posterior chain. So I started building my posterior chain up before my surgery. And when I went in, they said that the bodybuilding style training gained me five years of back life, uh, life out of my spine. And they said, whatever you're doing, do not ever stop. If you ever stop, you're going to start hurting. And I said, okay. And they told me it would take two years to do a full on uh, fusion for all the muscle. I mean, all of the spine to become one solid piece of bone. That's the, the overall goal is they want it to be one solid unit. So from, from like here to my butt is one solid piece of spine. It does not hinge. All of my lower back hinge has to come from my hips. Yeah. Uh, and then I start hinging uh, with the fourth vertebrae up. So it, it's tricky. I definitely had to adjust my training style. Um, but he told me as soon as I got out of surgery, start working, start walking. And just a lot of funny stories go in with that. And it was a lot of wake up calls, but <laughs> I, I put in the work. Um, I tried to get back into the gym six months after surgery and my body said, no, 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 not yet. That's not happening. <laughs> not right now. And then I waited three more months and I started doing a lot of band work, a lot of uh, real light load and just trying to build my muscles back up. And I guess it was right at a year and a half into it. I was starting to get everything pretty strong. I was back into the gym. Uh, I hadn't got under a squat bar yet. I hadn't tried to do any deadlifting. My surgeon actually, oh, when I, a year, 12 months from the date of the surgery, I went in for my checkup and he walks in and he said, I don't know how you did it. And I don't know what you did, but you are completely fused in 12 months. And we've never once seen that happen. He said, what, whatever you're doing, don't stop. Like this doesn't happen. And I said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get back as active as I can. I said, I have to work for a living. And well, I think a big part of it was probably what you did beforehand to kind of set yourself up for it. Yeah. And that's what I enjoyed doing. And I, he, I asked him then, I said, do I have any limitations? And he said, don't squat or deadlift ever again. And I said, look, doc, uh, you're going to have to tell me why. And he said, well, if I was there to watch your form, I would give you the go ahead. But it, I said, so form is the only reason he's like, yeah, I said, then I don't Wait, need so to watch I'm going to go to a doctor to critique my deadlift form. I, <laughs> I don't remember the last time I've seen a doctor deadlift. Well, <laughs> No. And I was like, no, I'm, I don't need you there. This I, I'm the one judging everybody else's form. I got this. Yeah. But, yeah we're good. Uh, buddy. Thanks. No, it, it, no, it took a while. And then right at two years after my surgery, that's when uh, I contacted you the first time. And that's where things really, really started to make big changes. Cause uh, I think you, you approached it knowing that I had limitations. We couldn't just go boss at a wall with everything. Now, what I will say, we didn't really have limitations. Like we can't do this. We can't do this. It was like, well, we've got to be smart about everything that we do, which I think is, is always a good approach, even for somebody that doesn't have an injury history. 
Yeah, hundred percent. And when you do have an injury, that does not mean you have to give up. You can, you can roll over and quit right there if you so choose to. But if you'll listen to your body, it's going to tell you what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. And that is a learning process in and of itself. Uh, there were several times that I've gone in there and did not trust what my body was telling me and wound up hurting. Uh, some, nothing life-threatening and nothing that put me back in the hospital or emergency room, but it's been things that have set me back for you know a week, sometimes two weeks. But I learned how to trust my instinct and trust what my body was telling me to do or avoid. And then I had to adjust a lot of my training. Uh, I can't train the same way that some other people train. And, but honestly, I can't sit here and tell you that the back injury and shoulder injury has held me back any. Um, I mean, I don't, uh, I don't think so. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe functionally, maybe not being able to train the way that you want to in some ways, but as far as like results and outcome, no, I mean, I don't, I don't feel that we've that. left stuff on the table because of that. The only thing I can say is, uh, standing on stage, I don't have spinal erectors, but that's just because they have nothing to do. Those muscles, yeah, not much you can do about that. <laughs> no, they're not. They, they have no function anymore. So, uh, and I wonder if you, you can get remember, implants for those. Uh, I'd, I'd rather spend the money on calves or chest. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't think there's a, a big market for spinal erector implants these days. No, I'm just, I mean, uh, if, if you go move oh, to LA, you can probably find someone who specializes. <laughs> in yeah. I'm not wasting money on that one. Uh, <laughs> But it, um, it's, it's different. Like I said, I don't think it's held us back any. We've, we've worked around it uh, really, really well. And yeah. it took a while to get my strength up. But the first, I'm going to say, really year, you helped me focus on getting my back strong. That was my main goal is to get my back strong. Once I got my back strong, then I, I haven't had any pain. There was zero back pain. I've had some back pain since then, and it was nothing to do with the fusion. Interesting. Um, Different area altogether. So, but my back became one of my strongest uh, attributes. Yeah. But, back uh, and legs. Yeah. And then, so after the first year, we got our back, got my back strong, and then we focused on quads. And what I tell people as well is you haven't really changed my training style um, you've thrown the split, but it doesn't like the rep range doesn't change it. There's not been any major changes that you've thrown my way. It doesn't it's need all to. in my head. Yeah. You don't, you don't have to get cute with it. And I think that's where a lot of people, um, they, they have a problem because they think they need some kind of trick or something like that. And, no. you know, I'll, I'll open up the, the, you know, Batman's utility belt every now and then and throw something out there. But the problem that I think a lot of people have with their training is they rely on that stuff. So like they can't get a good workout unless they've got drop sets and supersets and bullshit all over yeah. the place. It's like, you got to focus on the basics and use those as a little afterburner kick in the pants every now and then. But I was telling somebody in a check-in earlier this week, I'm like, honestly, I don't think I've done a drop set. I mean, you know, God forbid it's the namesake of this podcast. I don't think I've done a drop set in like a year. Realistically, yeah, it's just, no. it's not something I rely on. Um, I've done no. some rest pause stuff and, you know, like ascending threes, which is my protocol. I've done that every now and then, but you know, I don't rely on any of that stuff and I don't think you need to, you don't need to get too cute. You don't need to play around with the rep ranges too much. It's like throw yourself a curveball every now and then, but don't rely on the curveballs because just like in baseball, if you get thrown a steady diet of curveballs, the batter starts expecting it and he's going to start smashing those fuckers out of the park. 
Yeah. Keep it simple. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's nothing you you've seen it more than I have. Mm-hmm. Nothing I hate worse than going into a gym and seeing personal trainers. I'm sorry if anybody's a personal trainer, but I have a vendetta against personal trainers because they'll have they have their clients doing the dumbest shit. Like standing on a BOSU ball, doing overhead shoulder press for dumbbells. Like, doing why? anything while standing on a BOSU ball. Stop. Yeah. Just quit. <laughs> no. And and you're right, though. People try to overcomplicate it because they think it has to be complicated. Like it's uh, And everybody, especially this generation, the younger people coming up, everything's about instant success. Yeah. And they think that it's going to happen overnight. And by God, it doesn't. It's, when it comes to bodybuilding, if, if you've been in it long enough, you know, I'm not talking to you here, but you look back at every year and see how much things have changed. Mm-hmm. But the people on the outside looking in, they see the end result. They don't see the work that you put in to get there. Well, and uh, I think, I think something else is when somebody is doing this consistently and they're not seeing the kind of results that they think that they should, they assume that there's some secret out there that they're not aware of. And so they yeah. go looking for that magical secret when really it's just like, you know, if you're working hard, here's the honest truth. You aren't working hard enough. No. Like there's, um, there's no limit on how hard you can push and you just haven't found that extra gear to kick it into. And that's what I'm always trying to do with people that I work with is help them, you know, find in the, inside the gearbox where it's covered, you can't see, but how do we shift into third gear? Okay. How do we find fourth from there? Where's fifth? Where's sixth? Guess what? There's a 53rd gear too. It's going to take us a little while to find there, but that's where the growth happens. And yeah. it comes from experience. And you do see some people who really blow up quickly. And it's just because they figure out that gearbox a lot faster. Yeah. And some people just naturally, they, they kind of have it in their DNA where they walk into the gym and immediately like day one, like their posture is good. Their muscle awareness is good. Their body coordination is good. Those are the people where it's like, boom, they take off. Yes. Um, so it's, it's that kind of innate knowledge as well as genetics. And so you see somebody who's like 21, 22, 23 years old and looks like a freak. It's like all those things have to line up, but that's not the norm. You can't expect that. Yeah. And, uh, and I thought about that on myself a lot. Like I've never thought I had, you know, good bodybuilding genetics. Um, never, if you'd have told me that 10 years ago, I'm like, no, I don't I'm a skinny little kid. I'm still a skinny little guy. Um, now most of the genetics are right up here. Yes. But the, the greatest hype man in the world. And you've mentioned her on the last podcast <laughs> that I heard, uh, she drove that into my freaking skull and was like, no, the genetics are there. And yeah. that push is like, you know what, maybe, maybe it is, maybe I have some kind of ability, you know, with genetics. So let's go. And yeah. the combination of, of you sending me her way and you it's, it's created a pretty good team. And I, I think it's a, it has really helped me a lot, but the part that I think a lot of people don't understand is what true intensity is. Mm-hmm. I think people are a very poor judge of intensity, not training hard enough. Um, if you want to push those boundaries and you want to grow, you have to like, when you think you're done, you're not done. And it, oh, it burns a little bit. Yeah. Well, turn that shit off and keep, like, keep going. Great. You're, you're but, about ready to start once it burns a little bit. Yeah. Now start counting your reps. <laughs> so here's a question uh, that I have for you. This is not from anybody else. And it's just a follow up based on this. So I'm going to put you on the spot here. If you had somebody who, let's say they're, they're not a beginner, but they're kind of like early intermediate stage lifting. Like they, they know a bit, but you can also tell watching them just like random person. You can tell they're not quite dialed in on the level where you want them to be. Yeah. What is one thing that you would tell them 
that would help them ratchet up their intensity? I, I have an answer. I want to hear yours. Videotape it. <clears throat> I like that. Record your workout. Um, because you're going to realize, I think when you see yourself, cause you look different in the mirror than you do on camera. And, and I film myself a lot more than I share because <laughs> I, I don't like the way my stuff looks on video, <laughs> Ditto. but, um, <laughs> you can, you can see your yourself from a different perspective and see how hard you're actually pushing. But one thing that I will tell them anybody is to try to learn what true RPE is like, yeah. If you're going radiant of perceived exertion for those playing at home, um, is if you're shooting, I don't ever try to train to a full 10 RPE. Um, and I, I will say like the way that you write my splits, I can't sit here and say that it's the same for everybody. Cause I don't know. You don't write the, the splits for me the same way that you used to write the splits for me. Right. And there, I don't think you have to go into the detail. It's like, here, do this workout at this point. And, but I try not to, the rep range doesn't really make a difference to me. It's okay. Yeah. We're going to go for 10 reps or we're going to go for 12 reps. But when I get to that 10th rep, don't ever think that I could do 15. Like, <laughs> I could get 11, but I'm going to stop at 10. And that ninth one, when it gets to nine and 10, they're, they're a bitch, but that's where it counts is if you could do 12 reps and you were going for eight, if you sent a client a split and it says do eight reps of this and they could have gotten 12, you're not training hard enough. Uh, you're yeah. leaving a lot in the tank. You're that's where your growth is going to come in. Well, and I, I said I had an answer and that's very close to it. Um, what I would tell people if I was going to tell them one thing, um, you know, it, it happens. It so happened the other day. I had this one random guy who was like a 20 year old college kid. Nobody ever comes up and talks to me in the gym. I think just because I have like massive resting bitch face or something like that. So you might need to work on yours a little bit. You might just look, you might just look a little too friendly. I don't know. Um, but also like lately, I'm not wearing headphones in the gym um, because I'm actually at a point now where the music that I listen to is distracting me from my workout. So I listen to the shitty music they have playing in the gym and it's like, okay, fine. I've, I've heard this Bruce Springsteen song 500 times. I don't care about this. I can kind of tune it out and just do my own thing. So this guy comes up to me. I don't have headphones on. Apparently he thought I looked approachable. I don't know. Um, and he was like, Hey, what's a good exercise for chest? Um, and immediately, like as soon as he asked that question, I could see it in his eyes. Like he started backing away. Like he was ready for me to stop talking. Like he just felt very uncomfortable coming up and, and talking to me in the first place. I don't know why. I just think he was socially a little awkward or something like that. So I just told him a little bit and he's like, okay, okay. And I kept talking at him a little bit and I gave him like a second tip and a third tip. He's like, okay, he's backing away. He's like, okay. I'm like, all right, I'm going to let you go now. Um, but if somebody came up to me, he's like, Hey, how can I, uh, bump up my intensity? What I would say is stop obsessing over your rep count. Like, yes. And, and by that, I mean like kind of stop counting your reps and go by feel for a little while. If the target is yeah. 10 and it's written in your log book is 10, your workout sheet says 10 reps, your brain is automatically going to be conditioned to stop when you get to 10, regardless of how it feels. So yeah. I, I would say, you know, for a while, I don't think this is a good approach, but as you're trying to learn this, assume every set is to failure. 
um, the, the yeah. rep target that you're given can help guide your weight selection a little bit. So if it's 30, you're going to go lower than if it's six. Um, but whatever weight you pick, get however many reps you can and really explore what failure means. And if the target's 10 and you're getting 18, guess what? You're stronger than you think. You're underestimating yourself and you've got to recalibrate your, your scale a little bit. Yeah. And track your workouts. Yeah. You got to um, log it. Got to log it. Uh, I don't personally, I don't know how anybody does it without tracking their workouts. Uh, <laughs> well, it's, it's a lot easier. <laughs> well, and, and to me, I'm a firm 100% believer in progressive overload. If you don't do more this week than you did last week, your muscles are going to get efficient at doing what you just finished doing. And that's yeah. what I tell people in the gym all the time is, well, and for one, nobody's ever going to come up to me and ask how to get a big chest. <laughs> Not a concern I have, uh, but the, I tell people if you like if you go in there and you do three sets of ten with one thirty five on a bench press and that's all you ever do, you're gonna get your muscle's gonna grow to where it's efficient to do one thirty five. Yeah, it's not gonna grow any past that because it has no need to. Our you're gonna have what looks like a hundred and thirty five pound chest, a, a chest capable of pushing one thirty five. Case in point. <laughs> Well, that's the other thing. Like whenever I'm reviewing somebody's logs and their squat or their bench is 135, I'm like, no, no, that is lazy. I, I really doubt that's your max. That's just a convenient way to put on the bar. Don't stop there. Give me a fucking yeah, break. Uh, 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 I'll <laughs> never see my bench press in on my tracker. You're not seeing my weight. You don't, <laughs> I don't care how long you're my coach. I'm not yeah. showing you. Hey, that's fair. That's fair. I have a, a, a follow-up question for you on the back. Um, two, two of them. These, these are pretty easy ones. Are there any exercises right now for you that are just off limits that you don't do? No. Okay. No. Cool. Uh, I like that. The, I will do pretty much every exercise uh, because I think all of them have a pretty good benefit. The ones that I try to steer clear of or I'll run them really, really light is good mornings my back cannot stand good mornings yeah um but everything else um my back doesn't like deadlift but the thing is i can run deadlift light and it doesn't really bother me um i have a i feel i have a benefit of understanding mind muscle connection better than some people do I'm not gonna say better than everybody but better than a lot of people do it, that's one of the things that comes easy to me is feeling what the muscle is doing and focusing all of my thought process into whatever muscle I'm working, which is going to mean uh, that you have an easier time generating fatigue with less weight. Yes. And so like doing RDLs, um, those, I have a really tough time connecting there. And I think my back may have some of the limitations on that, Sure, but I still will do pretty much every exercise. Now there are some that the exercise is limited such we were discussing like close narrow leg press i can't go super deep with those because my hip all of my hinge is in my hip and once i go in not as deep as most people it starts pulling my back away from the seat yeah and anytime my back is trying to lift up from the seat that's where i'll stop because the spinal fusion or not you don't want that no, you, you don't, but my, my hip will start hinging or my, um, I'll still start getting anterior pelvic rotation yep. earlier, uh, than some other people would, because it's all one unit. So instead of hinging here, it's all trying to hinge here. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that I have to be careful because above my fusion is one good disc, then two more bad discs that they don't want to blow out because that, then I will have a six level fusion. Yeah. So, so you gotta, you gotta be still a little careful with it. Yeah, I have to be careful with that. And uh, uh, squats used to bother me. 
but I worked my way up and practiced. And even if you didn't have squats in my rotation, I would still figure out a way to throw some light squats in there as you should just to, to get it done. And then I got to where, um, I could go pretty far down without getting butt wink. And yeah. I think everybody knows what butt wink is. Well, your butt but, doesn't wink anymore. Does it? No, no, I, I can go, I can go all the way down. I can go ass to grass now. You couldn't wink if you wanted to. No, no, it doesn't do no more butt wink. <laughs> that, that's but, one way to fix it. Everybody says like, how should I fix this? Well, you could get a three level spinal fusion. That's one way to do it. Well, it would, after the fusion, it would, I would get a little bit of anterior pelvic rotation fairly deep into my squats, mm-hmm. but it's just where it hinges. Mine just has to hinge it further up my back. Further and up, not, not further down, not, further not, down. not in the sacral region, but up like, so yeah. it, it's just your lumbar, like your lower thoracic ones aren't involved in this. No, no, no. The, yeah. um, it's just the lower lumbar and it's fused to my, uh, sacrum. Okay. So okay. My ass is welded to my spine. Um, <laughs> then I have issues in more, my thoracic and I have issues in my, uh, cervical spine, but yeah. they're not anything that's causing issue. And as long as I keep my back strong, they will not create issue. Because the cervical my, spine issue, is that related to the same overriding issue of just yes. degenerative disc? Yeah, it is. Um, they, they show up on MRI. They don't all show up on x-ray as being bad. But um, I used to have a lot of neck issues. I have, uh, and early on, I could probably look back in some of our check-ins, I, my Two, there's two vertebrae in my neck that would seize together. Like mm. they would lock up. And it's your, if you study the spine very much, it's a very uh, intricate design and it will lock every muscle around something up to protect itself. And your the brain doesn't realize, hey, we don't need to lock all these muscles up, but it'll lock them all up. And it doesn't care what position your spine is in when it locks them up then you got to wait for it to realize i've seen that happen also with my dad because he had a uh a type of arthritis where his uh the uh, discs in his spine would just start to fuse together on their own yes. and so when he had his stroke and he fell um really i mean the of course the stroke caused a lot of damage there was a lot of a lot of brain bleed um but also when he fell um he was at the golf course when this happened and he landed it fractured a lot of those fusions Ah. and created created all kinds of issues with soft tissue around there so he had to be in a neck brace for months after that while everything kind of and it took a long time for that to to heal up but uh yeah, it's, it's kind of funny, like how all that stuff is, is protective and how the soft tissue responds with the spine as well. It's, I don't know, it's way above my pay grade for sure. Yeah, mine too. Uh, and <laughs> I learned, I learned a lot out of necessity. Yeah. Um, not that I wanted to learn it, but it was like, you, you learn it or you, you uh, live with it. So yeah. uh, it's definitely changed how I approach everything. I have to train you know, and you've said this before, train smarter, not harder. Yeah, but always. I think you, it's both. You have to train smarter and harder. Yeah. You, you want to train smarter first to enable you yes. to train harder without hurting yourself. Well, and um, we've, I think you've talked about this before because you were, you're mentioning. I talk about a lot like, of shit, man. <laughs> um, and it, you and I have gone back and forth over a, a bunch of shit over the years, but um, you were talking about clients that aren't brand new. Uh, that are kind of, mm, what do you say? Moderate lifters. Yeah. They they know enough to get themselves in trouble or early intermediate. I'd say. Yeah. Um, I love getting a new split. Uh, my wife 
who is also your client, hates getting a new split. A whole bunch of new shit for her to learn, right? Yeah. It's just like, (laughs) we don't know where everything is. It's in the same place it was last time. (laughs) Part of it is, I think she probably sees herself as being newer and less experienced than she really is. Yeah. And it's a hundred percent and it's all, you know, she does not like change. And that's where she and I are completely different. I love change. I hate things staying the same. I like everything to change. Um, that's just the, I like living in a chaotic lifestyle, I guess, but <laughs> well, you're um, in the right job for it. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And hopefully that changes soon. It doesn't <laughs> look like it's going to, um, but when I get a new split, that gives me a week to almost deload. And Ex- exactly. Do, yeah. My first week of a split, uh, I don't pay attention. Like, like you mentioned, you step your training down. Don't worry about the reps and don't worry about the weight. When you've done it long enough, you could send me a split that I've never seen before with random workouts, and I already pretty much know what weight I'm going to start. Because if you started, you know, set number one is, uh, let's just say, barbell curl, and that's the first exercise in this split, but next time you give me a split, it's the last exercise. I better not be able to do the same weight with each of those. But, but man, if you can, enough. guess what? You've just learned something really important about yourself. Like, yeah, you oh man, pushing hard enough. I was half-assing it last time. Okay, yes. note to self. And so the way that I do my, uh, my workouts is my first week of a split is figuring out what weight I want to use. And I may run it a little bit lighter, but like you said, if you have on there three sets of 10, there may be a set that's got 15 reps. Mm-hmm. Or if I grab it and I realize three reps into it. I'm not going to be able to stop at 10. I'll drop it, take a 30 second rest break, grab heavier weight. Yeah. And I'm yeah. figuring out, but I will focus. I'll use that as a deload, really focus on the pump, focus on the muscle contraction, the eccentric concentric motions. But by the time I make it to my fourth or fifth week, I'm going pretty heavy on stuff. Yeah. Now my final week, my form where it's possible I don't want anybody to think it's ever good for form to fall off. If you're doing a barbell back squat, your form better not ever fall off because that's where you're going to get injured. There are some movements that are binary. Your form is either acceptable or it's not. But if you're doing something like, you know, a lateral raise, you know what? It's like if it gets a little sloppy, it's probably good. Yeah. If you're not going to have an injury, but that's where you have to be smarter. And that's experience. Yeah. Experience plays a huge role in any of this. And I learn something all the time, but I'm, I'm constantly listening to what my body is telling me. Um, and I think people are scared to push hard. They're scared to push the limit sometimes and find that limit. You For sure. I look at it as you want to be tiptoeing up to that line, but you don't want to cross that line. Yeah. I, I, what I often tell people is I, I need you to train with an, in, with a level of intensity where the idea of injuring yourself is not a distant remote possibility, but you, you know how to keep yourself on the right side of that line. Yeah. It's like, you need to train hard enough where it, it's like almost reckless, but it's a controlled recklessness yes. and you're still in connection with what your body's doing. And yeah. that is something where it's like, you know, you've got to take your time over a few years to really learn how to tiptoe up close to that line if you want to do it right. Oh, a hundred percent. And you know, people want to go into it six months into the gym. Um, perfect example. How many times have you seen this? The the newer, smaller. We're going to go with guys here because they do it worse. Oh, smaller guys think they're the biggest. The biggest guys think they're the smallest. Uh, this that's like the bigger you get, the smaller you feel. 
I, I saw a guy like that today, actually. Yep. And the, the ones walking around with their chest all puffed out, I mean, they could hide behind a barbell if you stood it straight up. <laughs> like, like, dude, stop. But, Which everybody's got to start somewhere, but just know yes, where you are and accept know that. Your place, know yeah. your place. Know your place. Know where you stand. And, and put um, in the work and, and put in the time and be patient, be consistent. Yes. And yeah. the, for those of uh, one big piece of advice is I'm the type of person that like, if I saw you in the gym and I didn't know you, I'm going to come up and ask you questions. No oh, fuck. Because if, <laughs> well, and I wouldn't give a shit if you got mad at me or not, but well, I, I might walk around with a five pound dumbbell. That way I could, you know, throw it at you and run if I needed that's, to. That's fair. But I deserve it. If you want to get better at something, ask people that look like they know what they're doing. Yeah. And I, I don't mind people coming up and talking to me as long as, you know, as long as you're not looking to waste my time. Like there was one yes. guy a couple of weeks ago who wanted to talk to me about whatever was on Fox news at the time. I'm like, dude, I don't fucking give a shit about that. Like, shut up. Like they need to turn that shit off. I don't care what the news station is. It has no business being on in the gym because all it is is distracting everybody who's looking at it. Yeah. Like, don't talk to me about it. And I was kind of a dick to the guy. I felt a little bad, but at the same time, he hasn't talked to me since. So I've, I've been, been an asshole. I'm, <laughs> it gets pretty rough like during prep really bad. And the gyms that I work out in constantly, like those people know that when I'm going in, like they can see me and know, okay, he's in prep mode. Those yeah. two, he, clear, he looks like, leaner than he did two weeks ago. I'm going to stay away from him. Yeah. They're getting, but I'm the type of person that, if you're lollygagging around and uh, I'm sorry, I'm judgmental. I, we, I name people in the gym. Like we have half rep Henry. Oh, uh, dude. I, I, I think everybody who has spent any time in the gym has names for everybody. I mean, I think that's, that's almost unavoidable. I don't feel bad about it. Half rep Henry is a Ronda. good one. Yeah, rest time Rhonda was really getting on my nerves the other day. <laughs> she was uh, taking like 20 minute rest times. It's like, and I make it obvious that I'm waiting on you. Well, you got, go you got leg press Louie also who sits on the leg press for 45 minutes. Yeah. I'm yeah. More, the, 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 our leg press gets held up by half rep Henry and <laughs> it's, half reps on the leg press. That's great. It, yeah. It's, it's, it's so bad. Or calf and, raise uh, Corey. He, he sits on the leg press for 30 minutes and just does calf raises. That's also half rep Henry at our gym. Oh but man. They're, they're really fast. There, there's half rep like, Henry wears many hats. Uh, he's, and he uses many pieces of equipment. And, um, he, the other day, about two weeks ago, I'm going to go on a rant on this guy. Cause it's, thank God it wasn't prep time, but he knew I was training legs and he's one of those, he's an older gentleman. Uh, he's not a nice guy, but he uses every piece of equipment. Like every day is circuit training day oh, and I'm training legs. It is obvious today is my leg day. Everybody else in the gym knows get out of my way on leg day. He sees me walking to the leg extension and goes to it and sits on it. I set my stuff down and turned around and he had come from some chest machine over to the leg extension machine with me standing there. And I'd turn around and look and I said, what in, well, I may, I'm not going to say what I said, but I just <laughs> stood there and looked at him. And then he got up and looked at me and he just made this face. He's like, you can have it. I said, you're finished. <laughs> like, no, check out. No, buddy. no, no. And that I'm, if you're, if you're one of those people and you're listening to this and you're guilty of taking too much rest time, do not get mad when somebody takes your equipment from you. But I also uh, got to say, if you're guilty of that and you're listening to this, you know what? 
we will grant amnesty if you change your ways right now. Yes. We will not I. give you endless streams of shit if you can just like make the change right now and take that turn to becoming a better person. I was fixing to say that. Be a better person. Be a better person. Like Would this. you have a name for the guy? It, again, it's usually a guy. Most of the people who do the dumbest shit in the gyms are always guys. A name for the guy who goes into the crossover, you know, two cables ready to go and does uses an exercise where he only needs one side of it, where he could very easily go to the outside of the thing and do his tricep press downs over there instead of occupying the whole middle space. Oh my God. No, we need to come up with a name for that guy. Like, cause I just get really freaking mad. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So hold on. I wanted to go back to something that you said early on and I just hear my, my wife got home. She's going to come in the door. The dogs are going to freak out here. Uh, I'm going to see if she wants to come and say hi. I, I told her that there might be a possibility that I'd still be recording when she came home. And I said, you should just come on and say hi. And she did this. She did. So I, I don't think it's going to happen, yeah. but, um, going to be home here too. <laughs> early on, you were talking about prep and you said you don't like prep. No. And so the obvious question there that people were probably yelling at their, at their, uh, headsets when they were listening to this before is like, ask him why he's a bodybuilder then. So there's my question. If you don't like prep, why are you a competitive bodybuilder? I like what prep does. Okay. It, it's about I the like results. results of prep. I do not like the lack of carbs. <laughs> she, uh, she's here and she's trying to sneak up the steps without saying hi. <laughs> she's, hold on. Hold on. I'm going to point the camera at you. You're going to, you're going to wave. Hi. You. <laughs> <laughs> All right. She's beating a hasty uh, retreat now. <laughs> well, and you guys are like family at this point, man. It's uh, after this much time, and you know, a lot about my family and like we've, uh, we communicate a pretty good bit. So, well, I don't blame her for beating a hasty retreat. She's been dealing with, with grade school age kids all day. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's, that's as, as far as why do I bodybuild? Um, if you would have asked me if I wanted to be a professional bodybuilder when I was 18 years old, of course, heck yeah, that was a, a dream. But I always thought that dream was completely out of my realm. Like I never had a chance at that. And I'm going to tell you an experience for me, and I'm going to give her a lot of props on this. Uh, even so we did a mock show prep. I want to say mock. We actually planned a show. What was that? 2019. Mm -hmm. It was going to be, I think October, 2019. I think here's my suggestion. Everybody listening. If you've never done a competition, do a prep. Don't Pretend even like you're doing one. Do a prep, go through with it. Pick a show date out. Don't pay for the show. Don't buy your car. Don't pay for your hotel because You've said it a million times, and I'm going to tell everybody why you say this, because how many times have you told people don't expect to win? Um, and how many times did you tell me don't expect to win? Many, uh, many, many, many times. I would say 80% of the times I've ever said that it was directed at you. <laughs> Probably so. And I always knew you were talking to me. But, That's fair. But anyway, it was that uh, my first prep, I just fell apart. Like, I had a lot of life shit hit me right in the back of the head in the and middle you can, of that. You can never anticipate that stuff. You don't know when it's going to happen. Yeah. But my, my deal with that is I was trying to push through it. And if you're trying to push through that, I promise you're not going to have the end result that you wanted. 
it's not going to be a good look on you. Your a stressful body on stage. You can always identify a stressed out body on stage. Yes. And so we did this show. Um, you helped convince me, Hey, let's go ahead and do a show. And I had a friend of mine that wanted me to do it. I'm like, okay, we're going to rock on. We're going to do this show. So we, we, uh, we I had a show in April. I had a show in May and, uh, I get sour, really sour mood when I don't have carbs. You throw carbs at me, I lose weight. How many times have we seen that? I don't yeah. gain weight very easily. You feed me, I lose weight. Yep. And uh, I think I handled this past prep, the first one, fairly well. I had one moment that really, really, really got in my head bad. It was lasted about two or three days. You're gonna Everybody's going to go through that. Yep. And then, boom, I was okay. I was ready to roll. The second one, I didn't handle it well. But I think my body was just ready to be done with it. Well, at that point, you're tacking on an extra four or five weeks after what's already been a full prep. So it wasn't, it wasn't a pretty sight. Yeah. (laughs) And it showed on stage. At that point, you're looking at like 20 weeks of prep and that's a long time, especially when it's been, yeah, especially when it's been, you know, pretty aggressive 20, 21 weeks. And I know, I know now, like I'm looking forward to our next show uh, because I learned a lot about myself. I think you learned a lot about dealing with me and now going into the next one, I know the questions to ask. Like yeah. if, if I feel something wrong or I feel something approach it, like go to you and say, coach, here's what I'm seeing. Can we try this? Like, yeah, d- don't assume like, Oh, I guess it's supposed to be like this. I'm like, yeah, cause it's not like, it doesn't have to be that way. And, and a good coach is going to alter things. Yeah. But what, uh, what made me really want to compete and I, I made a to-do list on the back back there that because uh, I don't use that board for anything. But, uh, to-do list number one: grow. Number two: shred. Number three: go pro. There you go. And it's as simple as that. Thought, never would have thought that I like if you'd have told me two years ago that you have the chance to go pro. I was I told you no. There's no possible way I would ever be able to do that. But when you sent me to your coach Kelly for posing, <clears throat> and the first very first time I worked with her. She, uh, she pointed out some things and I was like, you're freaking crazy. This woman's nuts. And she, uh, she's got a good she eye. Posted, she, she posted some photos. She's like, you have the chance you like, you have what it takes to go pro. And I was like, no, I'm not. I don't, I'm a little bitty guy, but she posted some photos of actual pros on screen. Cause I had my phone sitting there and it was hooked up to my big screen TV. And when she posted what I was early on in prep versus, some of the pros that were on stage, I'm like, wait a minute. When I see it from that point of view, maybe you're right. Maybe I, I have some potential here that I'm not really giving myself enough credit for. And well, uh, I, th- I think what you've got on the board there is huge. And I think regardless of what your goal is, um, sometimes when, when, when you first come to the realization of what your goal is, it always is going to seem like it's just stupid and far-fetched. Yes. And I think you write it down and it makes it real. And you spend some more time with it. You talk with people about it. You put it out there. It's not hidden anymore. It's not something that you're just keeping to yourself. And just through exposure, you get more accustomed to the idea and it starts to become more feasible. Even if you haven't really done a whole lot during that time to put yourself closer to it, you get more comfortable with the idea. And you can't, I don't think you can really achieve it until you get comfortable with the idea. And then you start to believe like, okay, I've been talking about this long enough. You know, maybe there is something to it. 
So it's got to be realistic. Like if you were coming at me and you were five foot eight and 108 pounds and you wrote pro bodybuilder and you're like, okay, I'm going to sign up for the gym in a couple of months. I'm like, dude, no, this is, this is, this is not a realistic goal. (laughs) Maybe, maybe 15 years down the road, but we got some work to do. Okay. Let's learn how to do this first. Like your your first goal should be, you know, stop being anorexic. Um, definitely put some muscle on your your frame. Any, any of any of your class that are listening, uh, especially anybody that's new, if they're getting ready to do a show, you're going to tell them don't expect to win. And it's, I want to tell you right now from my own personal experience, it's not because Darren thinks that you aren't capable of winning a show. There may be a couple instances that that has happened. Where you knew sure has. Hey, this person, Hey guy, you need to just go ahead and understand you're going to make 15th call outs, <laughs> but <laughs> Um, you're going to play sixth and five man show, but <laughs> been there. it's, uh, it's not because of, he doesn't think of your potential that you're able to do it. It's because somebody with your experience and dealing with so many clients that are doing so many competitions, you don't know what's going to happen. And right. when you start getting really lean, your things change, your perception of things change, your mental state changes, your energy level changes. The way you see everything changes. Yes. And then you're, you're going to get it to a point. Um, when you look in the mirror, you're not liking what you're seeing, but you're four weeks out thinking that you're supposed to look like you're a week out and (laughs) it doesn't doesn't match up in your head. Yeah. You're going to have to trust this process. You're going to feel small. Um, cause that's one of the, the, Oh, Ann's home. Um, that's one of the things with me is when I start leaning out, I feel like I'm this big around. Yeah. I mean, and, cause, cause realistically relative to where you were, I mean, you are that big around. Yeah. yeah. But the thing you, you is, need to be like, small. Uh, um, you want to say, Hey there. Yeah. Come say, Hey, Hey, How are you? <laughs> we, we were, we were talking about you earlier. Were your ears burning? Oh, no. What were y'all saying? Uh, nothing good. Nothing good. We were all <laughs> gossiping and just talking shit about you. That is so rude. I believe it. Uh, but, the, uh, the, but the truth of the matter is don't worry about where you're going to come in on that show. If yeah. you're, your amateur level, it doesn't really matter. Like, um, I, don't have, I can't sit here and tell you I've got tons of show experience under my belt because I do not. I got lucky. I was one of the ones that I have, I'll get into that in a second, but the reason that Darren's telling you is because you're going to experience things that you cannot foresee and you can't expect, but appreciate them for what they are. Use every bit of it as a learning experience because even like in my case, when I feel like I'm this big around, I still come in at the top of my weight class. And that's something that I, I can look at now and say, Hey, I can be pretty proud of that. That's where you need to be. That's where I need to be. If, yeah. And if, if, if I ever want, I'm not going to say want to, cause I'm going pro, whether you tell me I am or not, it's going to freaking happen. <laughs> but it's uh that's one of the things that's going to help me. Like, I'm, I don't care if it's small I feel anymore. I don't care about the number on the scales. I know we're going to come in and do it, but trust the process. And you can take it some questions from me. Oh, I believe it. I felt it. And uh, it's just, it's a big part of it. You know, trust your coach, trust the process. If you don't trust your coach, don't stay with your coach. Yeah. You find Absolutely. You can connect with, uh, or, 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 or talk to them and find some common ground. 
Yeah. Um, because it could be that you don't trust him because something hasn't been explained well enough to you and you may just need a little bit more information. So, and um, I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt you for a second because yeah. I want to, uh, you mentioned in the podcast with Kelly as well. I said, let's talk about this bullshit about getting a pro card on your first show. Yeah. Yeah. You got something to say about that? <laughs> Well, and that has nothing to do with the individual and has everything no, to do with the organization. With I don't agree with it. Uh, I'm with you on that. Yeah. And I'm with her on that. I think it's bullshit. Yeah. I don't think that should ever, um, I don't think it should be possible. So now this wasn't NPC. That was the overall for the GBO. Mm-hmm. Um, now you remember that show. I got there and I was mad. I almost came home and didn't even do the show. There's no one there. There was nobody to compete against me. Yeah. And I wound up having to do compete against two guys, but um, literally one of those guys, and I hope he's not watching this, but when we no, were doing nobody's watching in, this, don't worry. It's fine. <laughs> we, we did our way in and I took off all of my loose fitting clothing and the gentleman was a few years older than me. And when he turned around and saw me, I watched his heart break in That's front awesome. of my eyes. That's and awesome. I watched him and he went, uh, and he just shrunk down. I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry, dude. Uh, but I went prepared. I was ready for freaking battle. Yeah. And we left some on the table for that show, knowing we were going to be doing the NPC show. And I still brought a really solid look to that stage. And I was mad as hell because I didn't have to fight for it. But I won overall. I won. Uh, I had three first place trophies and the, the overall for that one. And I won my pro card in the GBO. I yeah. didn't get it. I didn't pay for the pro card because it's not what I want. It doesn't get me where I want to be, but that should not happen for show number one. So GBO, if you're anybody can get this back to them, stop giving pro cards on a, somebody's first show. Yeah. Like, I mean, there has to be a process and they're not the only organization. Yeah. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of um, natural organizations as well that, uh, you know, it's possible to get your pro card to your first show. I'm sorry. Anything that you're doing for the first time, you're not a professional at. You're not regardless of how you, regardless of how you place. That's the reason I didn't pay the $135 or whatever it is for the pro card on that, because I don't feel like I earned it. Yeah. Um, And the main thing is, yeah, I brought a good package. I put in the work to get there, to get to that point. I put in all the diet. I put in all the effort. I worked my ass off to get it, but did I earn it? No, I don't feel like I earned it because I didn't have to compete against 10 guys. Right now, I do think if you threw me on stage at that point with five other people in my category, I think I could have held my own really, really solidly. But it's a but, hypothetical. But I didn't earn it. It didn't matter. Yeah. And you don't know. You said this a million times. You don't know who's going to show up to the show. Can't control um, it. And then the NPC show. Yeah, I'm nationally qualified. Uh, got lucky on that too. I well, and also be, like being, being nationally qualified in a in post COVID doesn't mean anything because top five gets nationally qualified. So if you yes. show up and there's four people in your class, the guy who finishes last is still nationally qualified. And so I that whole phrase goals. has been kind of cheapened a little bit. I was one in my class. Um, and <laughs> so you were first so, and last. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm nationally qualified and pro qualified and organization completely by default. Now, that does that's where it gets tricky is it throws the question in my mind. I had to battle the mental side of it is, am I ready to go to a national show? Well, of course, right now, I know I'm not, but do I have potential? How am I going to stand on a national show? And that's why well, you and I are putting together a plan 
for a national level show early on in the year, March or April, yep. knowing I'm not going to win that show. Test the waters. Uh, that is just to see where we stand on a national level and, you know, get a national show having to travel, having to fly to a show because there's nothing in Northeast Louisiana that's the, national. The level. logistics are different. The preparation yeah. is different. Um, the experience of being there, getting lost in the crowd is all different. So, yeah, I mean, a- absolutely test the waters with it sooner rather yeah, than later. It's, it's a learning experience. We know. Now, if I get lucky again, my luck's going to run out. And that's the thing about it. <laughs> But I'm not going to half-ass it. I'm going to put in the work yeah. that it's going to take me to get there. I'm going to go to that show trying to win it. Uh, and I'm going to give it everything I've got. But am I going to be disappointed if I don't win it? No, I'm actually, back in my mind, expecting not to. Mm-hmm. That's why we're planning on doing another show next year. Yep. Um, I don't foresee me getting my pro card next year at all. I'm just... I'm going to be a realist on this, not a pessimist or an optimist. I don't see it happening, um, but I'll turn 39 next year. And then the year after that, 2023, I'll, I'll be in masters. Yeah. Um, so I think, um, I think two more years of training uh, under my belt. A, a lot saying, can change with a good two years. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. I think, uh, cause I can look back at where I started with you three years ago and that's not the same person. No, uh, no. It, and my weight hasn't changed a whole lot. No, it's all, uh, it's all recon, man. Yeah. is changed uh, more than anything. And I know that in two more years of experience, and that's, it's not just experience in the gym. It's, uh, what, what's the term for it? It's muscular experience. It's, uh, muscle maturity, muscle maturity. Thank you. Yep. Uh, brain fart, but <laughs> that's the, your muscles are going to change. And so, so much can happen that you don't even know about in two years that I think by the time I'm in master's class, yeah, I can hold my own. I think I'll be fairly competitive if nothing, if I don't tear something I, up between now I, and then. I agree. Yeah. Be careful. You know, you'll be uh, encouraged to know, probably not surprised, but it might give you a little satisfaction that as I approach my show in nine weeks and change, I am going in with zero expectations. Like if, if there's, 10 in my class and I make second call out, I'm like, Hey, you know what? So be it. So I'm certainly not hoping that that's the case, but I'm going in with absolutely no expectations to do anything or make any kind of noise whatsoever. Um, and I've been getting ready for this show realistically for like 10 years. So, you know, it's been that long since my last show, nine and a half. Um, when your last all... prep was three years ago. Yeah. My last cut, last time I was in a deficit was 2018 for a photo shoot. So and then you, uh, there was some family stuff happened what mm-hmm. two weeks out from your photo shoot that kind of yep. threw you in a mix there. So, yep. uh, yeah. So it's, uh, it's been a, it's been a long time coming. So I think, you know, it would be natural to expect like, no, we're coming into this to win. I'm like, screw that. You know, I'm sure there, and I've, I've said this before and you know, there's plenty of people out there that have been working harder and more consistently than me. And so there's if I get my ass handed to me, harder. you know it. Yep. And so if I get my there's ass handed to somebody me, bigger, it's just because, you know, they're better than me and that's fine. And so I take that as a learning experience and say, cool, I got some improvements to make. So yeah, there's no expectations. And then I will argue because I, which I hype myself up, like nobody's going to outwork me, but I'm going to, I think you'll agree with me on there's some dude in Indonesia that is, I can guarantee nobody knows who he is, but (laughs) yeah, there's always somebody that's bigger, stronger, leaner, uh, more muscular, better genetics. Yeah. It's you're battling a lot of things. What I would rather somebody say is be the strongest working bastard in your gym. 
yeah. at that time. If you're or, in there, you need to be the strongest person in or the hardest working person in there while you're in there. Or, and I, I would also say, because sometimes that's a pretty low bar to clear, um, but be a harder worker than you were last week. Always. I, I thought that was a given. Uh, <laughs> Not always. Not always. <laughs> yeah, I, I overestimate people sometimes. Um, but did you, you said you had some questions. I do. Yeah. Let's hit them quick because, um, this is, this is, uh, funny, but this just shows like how the podcast works. Um, so my limiting factor right here is it is past mealtime for me and I am a hungry, hungry hippo. So yeah, we're going to um, do We're going to do a lightning round on these. You ready for it? Yeah, let's go. Okay. Um, how do you approach your routine on the stage? Your posing routine? Um, I, I practice the hell out of it. Um, not as much as I probably needed to, but I went over it in my head a million times and, uh, working with a posing coach was by far the best money that I've ever spent. And, um, working with the posing coach that you put me in touch with was such a good experience for me because I knew nothing about posing. I knew how to pose, but you don't know. There's a whole uh, level of detail beyond what you're aware of. Oh my God. Like you can't look in the mirror and see what other people are seeing and you can't video yourself, but I filmed myself. Um, she helped me put together the routine and then we tweaked it. And then I added some things here and there and just practice, practice, practice. Like, uh, this time around, I plan on doing like Chris Bumstead, getting out in the garage for 30 minutes to an hour a day, if I have to, yeah. and, you know, get it to where it's second nature. Because, uh, when I got on stage for my first show, the, the morning I, I hit my routine spot on that evening, I skipped a step, but I knew when, as soon as it happened and I missed that pose or forgot that step in it. Because when I walked out on stage, it was a surreal event where everybody was cheering. And you, I was like, well, these people were actually excited to see me on stage because honestly, it's because of the guys that had just come up on stage and walked off. There was nothing there. And I was like, <laughs> well, what is this? Uh, <laughs> anyway, but I missed my pose, but I was, I'm a fast thinker. So I was like, okay, what would Darren and what would Kelly say? They'd tell me to smile get your shit together, roll into the next pose. Nobody's going to know you missed it because they didn't see the son of a bitch this morning and pretend like it never happened. Yep. But if you get hung up on it, you're going to look like you fell apart. So I just rolled into the next one and I have two left feet. I'm not a dancer. Um, yeah. Ditto. And you know, just practice, 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 but get help, seek help, hire a posing coach. For sure. Good, good advice. Um, so this is one I'm going to, um, it, it's a question. I'm going to remove the obvious answer here. So it's, um, advice for men's physique competitors who transition to classic, which is not your story, but nonetheless, you have some perspective on this, I'm sure, but yeah. I'm going to assume that train legs harder is already answered. And that answer is off the table. So what other piece of advice would you give somebody looking to make that switch? Oh gosh. Um, Honestly, I, I, it's kind of a softball because I think it relates to what you were just talking about. Um, because the, the difference in posing from men's physique oh, to classic yes. physique is yes. exponential. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're the poses. It's not even in the same ballpark. Mm -mm, totally uh, different. And you're going to have to forget everything that you knew in men's physique to go over to classic. Uh, I think it'd be easier to go from classic to open because of the posing there. But yeah. Uh, you're not going to be, not everybody's going to have the same routine. You get into classic, 
your routine is going to be whatever you want it to be. Uh, where men's physique, pretty much all of them, they have them do the same thing. You know, go to your little corner, do whatever. And I mean, there, there's a very like, you know, it's it's kind of like there's a, a library of of stock photos that you can dig from and, and kind of build your routine yeah, out of that. It's like everybody has the same pose. Yeah, <laughs> I can't yeah. do it to save my life. Uh, and in, in classic physique, it's like, well, there's all the mandatories, but you have a 90 second routine to put together. It's yeah. more time on stage. You can be more free flowing. You can incorporate bodybuilding style poses. You can make up your own. You can move and flow how you see fit. And the thing, what I would say for transitioning from uh, men's physique to classic physique is because of the, uh, like you just said, you're, you don't have a photo album with five pictures you're picking through to figure out what pose you're doing for men's physique. Uh, you have a plethora. You're open to a large array. And uh, a lot of the poses that guys do today aren't actual classic poses. No, you're seeing like new, more new classics. <laughs> yeah. You're seeing more of the original classic being brought into it. Yeah. Um, I have a couple of my poses that I liked to mimic what Arnold would do or some of those guys, which is what classic was supposed to be. That I think if you're, if you're ever lacking for inspiration on poses, just Google Frank Zane and Franco Colombo. Oh God. Yes. I mean, you, uh, you can't go wrong if you start with those two. No, but you know, Find the poses that are going to show off your uh, attributes and hide your weak areas. Mm -hmm. and, and the ones that you feel you can do most comfortably because some of them are just awkward as hell and you might not oh, have the, yeah. the necessary flexibility to pull it off. But like we had to learn, um, it's with me, my strongest tricep is opposite side of my strongest chest side chest pose. What a pain which in the ass. Works in a, in a benefit with me because uh, I can, my strongest bicep is also the same side that you would see from my side chest. Okay, good. And so it works, but then I have one calf that I think due to nerve damage, it just will not grow. It's the same strength as my right calf is just as strong as my left, um, but it does not look like my left. So when you learn which leg to spike, I don't spike my right leg. I spike my left leg. And you, you learn those little tricks that's going to help you look better on stage. And you don't get that opportunity to do some of those things when you're in men's physique. Yeah. Yeah. I got one more for you. Um, this is kind of a big one. So I don't know if there's a short answer for this one. So do your best. Um, how do you combat self-doubt? Oh gosh. Uh, surround yourself with people that will help you remove that self-doubt. Um, if this is, um, you guys mentioned it the other day, I honestly think this is a team sport. Um, yeah, you're not there with me every day. Um, it's kind of like boxing really like yeah. you're, you're out there in the ring by yourself, but there's a team behind you. Uh, because I have self-doubt really bad. And especially going through prep, um, that's where I start really, really questioning things. And I think everybody that's, uh, that's going to be going through prep is going to have those questions. But you have to understand with the self-doubt is look where you came from. And if you would have had that doubt back then, I'm sure you doubted yourself, but look how you got through that. But the other thing is I've had friends in the past and like you and I have discussed this, that you don't have many guy friends. I don't have many guy friends. I don't have many friends. I'm a hermit, but <laughs> Ditto. it's, uh, if I have, I have figured out, uh, that through bodybuilding that, you know, I didn't, I don't like to post things online, you and I, and 
I'm going to call you out on this because I know who made you start posting stuff online because she did the same dadgum thing to me. <laughs> and uh, it was you, a you know who it was. You, you don't know who it is, actually. It's my uh, mark. It's my marketing consultant. <laughs> that was good because well because I, I had a, a call with her I had a call with her a while back to do like a little social media audit and she looked at this and she's like dude I don't even know where to start like let's start with the basics so she kind of called me out on that she's like you just got to put more content out there like put more of yourself out there so I'm like all right well, fine. What, uh, what you know put yourself out there um, because if you keep yourself in a bubble you you're going to think that nobody has your back. It's more opportunity for that self-doubt to feed on itself as well. Yeah, because uh, we always think, and you, we're going to touch on, I guess the same thing that y'all touched on the other day is you're going to assume that people care a lot more than they do. And you're going to assume <laughs> that uh, people are going to be more negative than they are. And I was always really leery to post anything because, uh, you know, my, my first prep, two of my best friends gave me, well, I had a really rough time with them because I posted some, some of my photos on there and they gave me a hard time just kind of brashing me, but I was in my own head and I erased everything off my Instagram profile. And re well, I was ready to quit bodybuilding because of it. Like I took it hard and personal thinking, yeah, I'm not cut out for this. This is not, not who I am. Um, I'm just pretending. And when so really I, they're, I, they're, they're pretending they're, they're yeah. pretending like they have valuable input in what you're doing. And they yeah, and it, you know, hindsight 2020, we worked through that, but you know, surround yourself with people, put yourself out there. And what made me put myself out there is uh, we had a posing session and two minutes after the posing session, you know how fast Kelly is, boom, yeah. everything was on Instagram and I'm tagged in it. And I looked at it and I was like, oh, uh, yeah, moment there. <laughs> I said, Kelly just posted the pictures and she goes, how do you feel about that? I said, you know what? I know why she did it because we had just had a discussion, like put yourself out there, stop being scared. Can't be scared all your life. Yeah. But when, what I figured out is when I would post things, I had more likes and comments on those things than I ever have. Like all three of my followers said something good. <laughs> all three of them. Holy shit. And, uh, <laughs> I can relate. So yeah, it's, uh, you surround yourself with people that are going to be positive because the self doubt, if you get in your own head, you're going to, that self doubt is going to stay there. But understand and it's not going to do not anything real. productive. It's, it's going to drag you down. No. And you get a group of friends that are, and trust what people are telling you. Uh, how many times have I told you like, dude, I feel like if this wind blows, I'm going to fall over. And you're like, yeah, you're not near about as small as you think you are. Yeah. Uh, you don't look as, as bad as you think you do. Um, and sometimes you don't look as good as you think you do. And the, the thing but, is like, if, if people are coming up and they're giving you positive feedback, it's like, they're not doing that because they want something from you. It's like they're, do, right. they're doing that because they genuinely think that and they just want to acknowledge it. And so you've got to like, you know, believe that when somebody tells you that. Yeah. But then the, I guess the real question is what doubt are we talking about? Your doubt that you can get on stage, your doubt that you can go through with a prep, your doubt that you can, you know, grow more muscle, all of the, the doubt above. that you can go pro. Yeah. I mean, what, whatever it is, it could, it could be, you know, it's, it's a MacGuffin. It can, you know, anything could stand in for that. Yeah. It's, it doesn't it, screw self doubt. Like, like put in the work. Don't worry about the doubt. If uh, I like if, it because you know me and you tell me I can't do something or it's not going to happen. 
I'm a, I will show you mother. Yeah. You're, you're, you're a stubborn mofo. That is, that is true. <laughs> really, really stubborn. And that's, uh, sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's a very bad thing. Sometimes it's not. And I've worked with people where, you know, being stubborn can actually be their downfall and sometimes it can be their biggest asset. It's been mine. It's been both of mine. It's yeah. been, there've been areas where that was definitely holding me back, but there have also been areas that it's like, yeah, I'll show you what I can do. Yeah. We'll nice. make this happen. But you also learn that you, if you want, you want to make me do something, you tell me I can't do it. I found that. Yeah. And don't, don't think I don't use that as a motivational tactic. Sometimes I know you've played that card before, yep. but I just, you've done it so smoothly. I don't know if is he playing that card or I don't know. Just do it anyway. You never know. You never know. Well, dude, this has been awesome. I've got to go eat or I'm going to pass out. So yeah, um, I, I, I do believe this is the longest episode in the history of the drop set. So you, you walk away with this, with a distinction and um, the trophies in the mail. So heck yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank, thank you for having me on D. Uh, a- absolutely. I'm, I'm glad we- uh, we, we covered a lot of ground here, and I think that there's there's useful stuff in here for people of all stripes. Like it, it applies to competitors, non-competitors, doesn't matter. So um, there's good stuff in here. Um, I don't know when this is going live, but uh, when it does, of course, you know I'm going to spam the hell out of you. So have at it. <laughs> I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna go eat a cheeseburger. Oh, you and then lie on my chicken about it. <laughs> yeah, 100 today. That, that's that's that seems about right. That's par for the course. Yeah. <laughs> All, All right, right sit tight with me for just a second here. I'm going to say farewell to everybody in podcast land. Um, I don't know. I never know how to sign these things off. I, I need to develop some kind of signature sign off line. But instead, I'm going to say what? Who am I stealing from? If I say good night and good luck, there's some old TV show host that used to say that. But whatever. Thank you, San Diego. <laughs> I love it. We'll go with Anchorman. I dig it. 